Welcome to the Managing People podcast, a place for people with curious minds. Hello, I'm Pete Fullard, and my guest this time knows all about the most important function in any organization. It's one that has a lot of technical people to manage, depends on IT, and affects every single person in the organization. She's worked her way up to director before setting up her own consultancy company, where she now shares all her breadth of experience and knowledge with others. So Elaine Gibson, welcome to the Managing People podcast. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for inviting me. So Elaine, let's go back to the very beginning. Uh, You left school. Where did your career start then? (laughs) Believe it or not, I started in um, an optician's. That was my very, very first job back in the 80s. Big recession on. Um, I was going back um, to to complete my A-levels. And I've got so far through the process and I was, I, my mathematics teacher actually recommended me for a job and I got it. So what was what was the first job then? So I was like a technician in the lens lab, far, far, far removed from leadership and management. Um, I was actually setting up um, the, you know, when you get your prescription uh, and I had to use this like very complicated looking machine and I used to have to centralise the prescription so that people could see through it. <laughs> so it's a little bit like what a dispensing optician would do. So right from the very start, you've been working with very technical people then? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, I have. And um, what was the management style then, Elaine? Yeah, it was a, it was the 80s. So you can perhaps leave a little bit to your imagination. It was a, there wasn't the focus on human resources, shall we say, people management as there is today. Uh, it was more about getting the job done uh, and the, the other management bits came secondary, really. So, yeah, the people skills, I would say, at times were lacking, but it wasn't a bad experience. And because some of the it was a bit it was tough. I won't deny it again. As I say, it was the 80s. However, it's helped form who I am today and the type of leader that I am, those experiences. So it's good. And so what followed that one then? What was the next job after that? Right. So. <laughs> That's when I started getting more into like accountancy and payroll and that kind of thing. So I started at a firm of accountants. Uh, I was training to be an accountant, actually. That's how I started off. I did all my um, AAT, so Association of Accounting Technicians qualifications. And I was going to go on to do the professional accountancy qualifications. And one day, my um, it was a she was a sole proprietor. It was on a farm. It was beautiful. It was lovely in a barn. And she came up to me and said, Elaine, I need you to do the payroll. Um, she, the, the guy who did it was off sick. And she gave me these really archaic A4 packs with all these cards in of how to do tax and insurance. And I had to sort of like pick it up and learn it really quickly because we were doing client payroll at the time. So thrown in at the deep end there then? Absolutely thrown in at the deep end. <laughs> and which was more difficult, doing the optician's work or doing the uh, payroll? I would say the accountancy and payroll was a lot more difficult. (laughs) I presume your client base grew quite a bit while you were there then. It did because I started off, uh, I moved over into the looking after the payroll solely, really. Um, And there was about 10 clients altogether. By the time I left that firm of accountants, I had well over 100 and do you feel that the the style of management, obviously, they let you just get on with it. That suited you. Um, was that, again, uh, all of that encouragement, you, you liked that or was it a bit daunting at times? 
well, it was daunting because it was a new thing, but I did like the fact that I was left to it. And, and actually, <laughs> I was left to it because nobody else knew what to do. <laughs> so it was a baptism of fire, but I found a niche. So what prompted the move on from there then? What's the next chapter? Ah, well, so I got a bit ambitious. I decided that I wanted to really take get more into the payroll side of things. And I knew actually from the research I'd started doing, there was courses out there and actually you could become quite senior in, in such a role, especially if you worked for a larger organisation. I found an organisation that would sponsor me and I eventually ended up then at Carlsberg Tetley, which was my first real proper nitty gritty management role. Um, so I was looking after a team of 12 people. Wow. So you went from managing nobody to immediately managing a, a team of over 10. There was a few a few little jobs in between uh, because I was trying to find the right place. I was trying to find my, my place in the world. And uh, so I did end up managing small teams, so maybe two people, three people max. Uh, but in the meantime, I'd qualified, I'd got my core payroll qualification. So it was like a level four of a foundation degree level. And um, then it qualified me, it was recognised in the industry. And so when I went for the job, they recognised that. They put me through a graduate recruitment, which was tough. Um, and I landed the job. So I was really grateful. It really gave me that foot in the door to management. But that's quite a leap, actually, from two to ten then. So was, was that the biggest challenge in terms of management for you at that point in your career? It was, actually, because, you know, those individuals, a, a very diverse range of age groups as well, uh, they were looking to me for support and guidance. So there was people younger than me in that team and people older than me in that team that had been there for years. You know, the husbands worked on the production line and things like that. So it was very much a community, although it was a great big company and actually a global company because they were based all over in different areas of the world. Um, but very much a family atmosphere within the team. But yes, it was a challenge trying to gain their trust and the fact that actually I didn't know what I was talking about. So how did you go about gaining that trust? That's a very important word in management. Yeah, it takes time. I mean, you can see people when you come in and they're watching you, they're quiet, they, they probably don't really open up to you much to start with. But I just made sure that I sat down with each individual team member and talked about day-to-day -day things as well as work so that they could sort of get to see that I was a human being. I'm a normal person. I've just got a job to do. And, and I just so happened to be the decision maker, uh, you know, and decide how the operation ran. So, yeah, it took time. And I would say after about six months, we actually did form. We went through that, is it Tuckman's model? Is it not forming, norming, storming and performing? Six months seems like a long time to a lot of people, but... Would you say that's typically when you're going in to manage a reasonably sizable team, that's the sort of expectations that maybe a new manager should set themselves? If you're going into a larger organisation, I mean, it depends, it depends on the people. It depends on the culture that you step into to start with, uh, you know, and the size of the team. So, each, so, for instance, you could manage a team of six. It might take longer to gain that trust or you could achieve that in a quicker 
pace of time. So I think I think there's a lot of factors that would determine how long it takes to gain a, a team's trust. But as a benchmark for me, and actually it's happened in another organisation that I've worked for, pretty much that same formula. So whether or not it, it's just, just my, the way that I operate as a, as a manager, stroke leader, uh, then that's a determining factor also. With a company like that, I'm guessing there were people overseas and quite a big payroll to run. Um, what sort of size and scope and did you see lots of culture variations within the people that you were working with? I did. Um, so my, my connection with the global world was annually because I was responsible for working with a firm of accountants, one of the top four firms of accountants, to actually calculate all the benefits and the expenses because it's very complicated with overseas because you've got dual taxation arrangements and things like that going on. So I did liaise with some of the directors <laughs> very quick to tell you if you were made an error on their P11D, I might add, um, <laughs> which is the benefits reporting form for HM Revenue and Customs. Uh, but generally, internally, the, the culture when I stepped into it was pretty good, to be honest. And I just built on that. So the team culture was great. And there wasn't just myself. It was one of those great big open offices where there was my section at one side and then there was all the legal team, uh, the employment law side of things at the other side. But we used to interact really well together because we were like two sides of the same coin. Uh, so there was quite a buzz in there, actually, and, and a lot of social going on as well. It was good. What do you think are the most important things that you learned about managing all those different relationships? Communication. I think it's very important that one department understands another. What Basically what it is was I got people around the table and we had regular monthly meetings to sort of iron out any potential issues. And then 99 times out of 100, they were damned to communication and a lack of understanding. And clearly you focus very much on building relationships. Um, and I guess ultimately when you're working with people, you become very friendly with them. Um, how do you balance that becoming too friendly with being professional? Yeah, it's a difficult one. It is because if you really click with somebody, you know, maybe maybe out of work, you could be really good friends. But I'm a great believer in there's nothing wrong with being friendly with people, but it's just about not crossing that line, really, and not showing favouritism to individuals. Were you able to draw on others' advice and, and what sort of advice were you given in those early days at um, Colesburg Tetley? I was quite lucky in the respect that, you know, there was lots of other, um, you know, managers and people higher, but people were very open to conversation. And if you had an issue or a problem, you knew you, knew you could go to someone and just run it past them. But I was also uh, a member of the... As, as it's now called, Chartered Institute of Payroll Professionals. Uh, and although they give technical support to their members, I also was able to build up a network through the industry and got to meet different people through conferences and events and things like that. And I made some really good friends, some good friends uh, from that. And even now, uh, there's a couple of them, like 20 odd years on, we're often catching up with each other and supporting each other with various dilemmas. <laughs> Sounds like you've got a very good network to draw on, and um, which obviously was built through that. So where after Carlsberg Tetley then? The institute that I was a member of, I saw a job, a job advert in their trade magazine. 
and it was for a trainer. Uh, and I thought, oh, I really, I, I was ready for another challenge. And I thought, I really like the sound of that. There was opportunities for more study. I actually did my master's degree while I was working with that organisation. And there was a lot of leadership and management, I suppose, development in that course itself. But alongside that, I was also developing the practical experience around it as well. So the two together was just a real powerful mix. And what did that job involve then? I was ended up being responsible for the qualifications and training portfolio from a strategic point of view. That led me into working with uh, universities and colleges that we, we, we were associated with in terms of our uh, high, further and higher education offerings. Was there a different culture and different management style at the CIPP as opposed to the previous places you've been at? Yeah, there was. Um, and I saw a lot of changes because the company grew while I was there. It started off sort of smaller, if you like, because 16 years later when I eventually left them, or just under 16 years, it really turned into quite a big operation and it was very prominent in the industry. And what, what team were you managing while you were there in those various roles? Oh, I managed a number of teams. But when I then stepped in and got the promotion for education director, then I was responsible for the whole workforce. Management challenges? Any challenges while you were there or was it all plain sailing? No, I mean, one of the first jobs I was given to do when I was promoted to education director was to undertake a, a restructure of the organisation. <laughs> um, and it was about really not necessarily letting everybody go. Because there weren't many people did go as a result of that. It was about making sure people were in the right seats. Looking at the managing individuals, did you have any challenges or, or real big achievements that you're proud of in terms of the, some of the individuals that you supported? There was a, an individual that maybe, well, I had people coming to me day in, day out saying, you know, they were upset that they'd faced this issue and they weren't happy. Some were thinking of leaving. And so I had to address that. Now, when I would sit down with these individuals, I spoke to them all on a one-to-one -one basis because I wanted to get things from their point of view just to see if there was a pattern. Uh, and clearly there was a pattern. Uh, so... Yeah, it was a challenge to actually address it in the end because I had to then go to the particular individual and basically, from their point of view, they're probably taking it that you're sort of saying, well, I'm doing things wrong and I'm not doing my job right and one thing and another. And it's more about not so much doing it wrong. What support can I give you and how can we do it better or different? Uh, but despite the attempts it sort of didn't really work in that respect. So what I had to do was find a way for that individual because that individual had some amazing skills and I didn't really want to lose them. But managing people wasn't really their forte. So we, we actually found a role or developed a role that that person could step into. But it didn't involve managing people, but it involved working with those people. That opened the door for someone else then who really, really wanted to develop and progress to become team leader. And uh, they've really progressed well since then. So you turned a, a 
challenging situation with somebody that wasn't a good fit into a positive one, which is um, ideal outcome, I guess, really. It is. I mean, you're not always going to win. Sometimes, you know, you're going to lose people because of it, because they're upset, because they feel like they've been criticised. And, you know, despite best efforts, you don't win them all. But um, there's always, to me, when when there's difficult behaviour going on, there's always something behind it that's making that person behave in that way. And it's just getting them to open up, get to the nitty gritty of it and then see how we can find a solution. Because more often than not, they just want some support more than anything. Obviously, you, you've um, stayed involved with CIPP as you, you've stayed in that role. You'd risen to the top. What attracted you next then? Well, uh, I was actually headhunted. So I stepped into this organisation as Director of People and Quality so there was four directors, um, four pillars, if you like, and I was the people pillar. And it was everything from learning and development, people strategy, you know, putting systems and processes in place like appraisal systems and things like that, reviewing all the policies, all the people policies and things like that. And uh, yeah, I think I've already mentioned, but yeah, learning and development was a big part of that. Explain what the the difference in culture uh, was between obviously a very formal organisation that supports the industry to obviously a very dynamic commercial organisation. It it actually grown from about uh, 50 or 60 people um, to well over 100 in five years. What I found was that a lot, and this is true of a lot of organisations and I think of a lot of senior leaders as well, is that because they were so good at their technical ability, that they were encouraged to step into this senior role of managing people. Um, And so one of my tasks when I stepped into the organisation was to find a way to upskill the senior leadership team. Um, Some of them had done formal education at degree level. Some of them had done training courses, but a long time ago. Some of them have had no training whatsoever. Big challenge, started at the top, um, obviously got the board bought in, then had to upskill and alter, to some extent, the culture of, of the management team all the way down to first-line managers. What was the approach that you used? It was a very diverse range of people. They were all great people, mind. You know, I mean, we, the, I, mean I, I was careful who I recruited, but people before me were very careful who they recruited, and there were some really good people at that organisation. Varying age groups from people who were sort of more or less just out of college right through to beyond retirement age. So, but the senior management team, again, that was a diverse range. You had all the different, you know, generations, like generation X, Y, Z in there kind of thing, baby boomers. So I did some research and I found an organisation that actually had an online programme. And it covered some really like key aspects of management, real nitty gritty And the good thing about it was when I found it, I thought, do you know what? I actually don't need to just use this for the senior leadership team. I can actually use it for the hierarchy. But I started with a pilot with a group of the senior leadership team to see how it went. And because I wanted to draw out the domestic issues and I I wasn't convinced without some coaching and mentoring that they'd actually see that. So I built a framework around this online programme, which involved 
action learning, it sounds really complicated and convoluted, but actually it isn't. It's about reflection. It's about people getting to see where they are now, what have they learned and where do they want to be in the future. So that was part of it. And then the other part of it was group coaching sessions for each of the modules to sort of, that's when we got into some really great debates about challenges and there was things hidden, things that would never come to the fore if we hadn't have had that form of training. It was linked to the performance management reviews because I got people to set objectives for themselves. Then the plans were put in place to roll out to to the rest of those that were either leading in some way, shape or form, whether it was team leading or a deputy head of department, for instance, or aspiring managers as well, because the other thing was succession planning. And there was a lot of people in that organisation that aspired to manage others. They wanted more responsibility and to climb the ladder. And so, again, that mix of online learning and the framework I built around it would put them in good stead, put the foundations in place to be able to do that. And was it a challenge to get buy-in from the board, not just in terms of obviously the investment in the the programme, but also the time that people were going to have to commit to to upskilling? I was lucky in that role because I was a member of the board in my role. And there were four of us, uh, but actually they they were very quick to see the value because that was one of the, what, before I was brought into that organisation, the three of them knew what they wanted me to do. It was so easy to see the value because it, it was all linked to a set of competences and behaviours that actually fitted perfectly with our values that we had at the time. So everything just seemed to fit together nicely. The language changed, the behaviour changed of the individuals. And we was able to get some tangible results to see where the learning gaps were so we could set further development for people. It was finding the gaps in the knowledge and turning that into opportunities for them to learn. What was the approach that you had to measuring uh, and linking it to those competencies? Every time somebody interacted with a question or a, you know, a learning evaluation, the system was picking up what they were doing. And it, it was just very clever. And at the end of it, you got a report with a set of results. That coupled with the framework and the feedback from the group coaching sessions and the action learning sets that they did, because it was a form they had to fill in. It was a powerful mix to actually see where we could develop people further and put solutions in place for issues that were identified. What sort of um, challenges are there in, in terms of people management in a culture and an environment where there's lots of technical people that maybe aren't necessarily people people? Not everybody is an actual leader, even though they're placed in that position. But actually, they can they can become a good leader with some development. And what I found was that those that were on the more technical side of things, so maybe on the software side of things, they were brilliant technical managers in that respect sort of this is how this particular task needs to be done and this is who I want to do it and this is how I want you to do it but it was the softer skills around those real leadership skills those people skills that seem tended to be lacking the technical people are very creative people they like to sit there with the headphones on listening to their music and be quiet you know all that people stuff it's it gets in the way of their creativity so it was about bringing that out in them and to be quite honest with you that you know there was some good leaders amongst those people 
have you experienced uh, different people management according to different generations? Do you see much variation in that? What I find is, and I'm not putting people in a box, but the more mature people, because they've got such a lot of experience behind them, tend to be able to think a little bit more outside the box. Whereas the younger generation haven't got that level of experience behind them. And they're great and they've got some fabulous ideas, but sometimes they need to learn to apply a filter and just take a step back a little bit before jumping in. <laughs> where did you move after that role then? I'd achieved what I could where I was. Uh, and so I set up my own business, People Transformations Limited. Uh, and it's predominantly about learning and development, management, leadership, coaching, mentoring. And what would be your dream project to work on? Leadership development. So I love, I, I absolutely enjoy writing programmes. So learning programmes. And then I love delivering them. I love the best part of it is getting in front of people and being able to share your experience. And, you know, as a lecturer, even when I was lecturing at the university, you don't know it all. You can't possibly know it all. You can actually learn from your students as well. And it opens up debate because you've got your opinion, they've got theirs, and it's about bringing that together and learning from each other. But that's the bit I really get a buzz from. What would be the advice you'd give to your younger self in terms of management? One thing I would say is don't say yes to everything. Because when you're starting out your career, I know myself, um, I, was, I was a bit quieter than I am now, hard to believe, I know. Um, but I wanted, to, I wanted to please, I wanted to show willing, and I would say yes to everything. And then you can become overwhelmed. Don't sit on anything or bury your head in the sand. Go for it. And also utilise the people around you to support you. What would you say to a first-time manager? I th again, it's about... You know, trusting in the people that are around you, build up your network, don't be frightened to ask and don't be frightened to say that you're not sure of something. What would you say to somebody that's maybe been a great people manager for many years? What's new in the world of management? How have things evolved? To an experienced manager, I would say, open your eyes to what's around you, different trends, different behaviours in the workplace. You've got to know your people. You've, you've got to understand each individual. So rather than trying to apply one particular management style all of the time, so I don't know, maybe you might be a bit authoritarian or leading from the front or um, consultative or participative. <laughs> There's loads of different styles, isn't there? But I think you've got to be prepared to bring out a mix depending on the situation sometimes you really need to lay it on the line so that people get the message sometimes there could be situations where you need to apply that little bit more of a softly softly approach and that's where the people skills come in that's people management what advice would you give to other learning and development teams or, or even other senior managers on how to engage the board with what can be achieved and, and get their buy-in? Because without that, you're, you're not going to succeed. I was a member of the board, but I still had to put a business case forward. You know, what's, what is the benefits to the organisation? What kind of return on investment am I going to see? 
and some of the benefits are going to be intangible so you know you need to you need to really think about it and get it down on paper what sort of things do you read who are the people that you listen to where do you go to get information places like linkedin you know and your network if you're lucky enough to have built up a decent network in terms of individuals like people that maybe i follow there's a there's an organization called goodfoot development they're quite interesting they do seminars and discussions and debates which is always good and I'm now part of a, a member of a couple of WhatsApp groups for leaders and HR people. And if anybody's stuck, we can just WhatsApp each other and just say, has anybody dealt with this before? Or what was your source of information? Or how did you deal with this? There's influencers like Simon Sinek. Um, he's, a, he's a leader, for instance. He says that, that leaders aren't responsible for the results, but they're responsible for the people who are responsible for the results. Uh, and I found that quite a powerful statement. Um, another lady, uh, Jane Eames, uh, she's actually an exec coach and she, she deals in team dynamics. So she's a consultant, but, you know, she's very good. She often posts things on LinkedIn, but she's a good person to look up. Another really good source of information is a book by a guy called Gino Whitman. It's Americanized, but you can adapt it. And I've adapted it for strategy. It's called Get a Grip on Your Business. It's Traction. It's called Traction. And it's brilliant. And it's got a really good people section within it. Another one is The Little Black Book by Michael Nicholas. It's really quite an insightful book. I recommend if you get a chance to sit down with a coffee and perhaps read a chapter now and again. It really is insightful because it also sort of digs into how the brain works a bit as well. So that neuroscience side of things, which is something that fascinates me, like emotional intelligence and things like that. I love all that kind of thing. But another one that is really good if you're a people manager, it's called Organisational Behaviour by Laurie J Mullins. And I was told when I did the HR modules in my degree that I would, I would always refer back to that book. And do you know what? I still do to this day. It was years ago since I did my master's and I've still got stickers in from when I was studying. <laughs> I'm very sad. <laughs> that is brilliant, Elaine. Well, look, Elaine, it is always a pleasure to talk to you. I learn something new every time we speak. Thanks very much for being on the Managing People podcast. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you, Pete. Thanks for listening to the Managing People podcast. I hope you found it informative and useful. All the information mentioned is in the notes on the podcast page, and I hope you check out the other episodes. See you next time.